so I think this recording is going to be, well, it is going to be about um, elongation and fall line management. And I think those are two really important things in terms of climbing guiding, for sure. Fall line management is actually a, a, something that needs to be thought about in ski guiding and just general mountaineering when you're maybe not roped because people could fall and slip and where do they go if they fall but i think more specifically for um and this more in terms of climbing instruction and i've oftentimes talked about elongation i call it the silent killer because people don't appreciate how much things stretch you know, everything stretches. Steel cable will stretch. Um, you know, we think of things being very static sometimes or not having much stretch. And we really discount how much something can actually stretch. I mean, if you think about the dynamic elongation standard for a climbing rope when it's brand new is 40% on its first drop. 40%. That is a lot of elongation. And then the static elongation, depending on the type of rope, can be anywhere from you know, 1% to to 10%, um, you know, with, with single climbing ropes being somewhere in the, you know, 5 to 7% range, somewhere in there. Um, so, I mean, even that is not in, you know, substantial. That's pretty, that's, that's a lot of elongation, um, or can be, especially if you have a lot of rope out. So I think what I noticed that people don't take that account, and there's two places where I really see that coming into play. One is with tension on belays, and one is building anchors. So with tensions on belays, you know, people give two slack of belays more often than not. So essentially when the client falls, even though the belay feels kind of tight, they haven't pulled the stretch out of the rope. So when they fall, there's enough elongation oftentimes to hit something. And that's really important when you're dealing with short climbs where you don't have a lot of you know, space to play with or long climbs when you're dealing with lots of rope in the system um, or climbs that have crux moves near ledges or the ground. And this is definitely something that gets under looked at in the single pitch world in terms of just managing belay tension. You know, so really, when you're belaying or your clients are belaying, trying to pull all the stretch out of the rope right near the ground. So essentially, you're on a very static rope if you can. Um, you keep a very tight belay. So once they move off the ground, that if they slip near the ground, that there's not enough elongation for them to hit the ground. Because even a very short um, fall, even a slower fall that you get when you're tied to a rope, could st- still cause you know an ankle injury or a little weird stumble. Um, you know, so there are all kinds of little injuries that can happen from that. Um, so I think that's something that doesn't get thought of or done well enough in the field is really managing that tension in the rope. You know, and once the climber's a little bit higher off the ground, and if it's a if it's a clean face and there's not lots of ledges or other hazards to kind of smack, um, then you can keep the belay a little bit less tight if that's what they want. Um, you don't you don't have to have like make it. Um, take all the stretch out of the rope, you know, because now they have a clean fall. Now there's, you know, some client comfort in terms of keeping the rope tight and then, um, 
you know, they get a little more scared oftentimes when you're dealing with beginner clients, um, when they have like, all this stretch because they're like, why isn't the rope stopping me? And sometimes just front loading that like, hey, the rope stretches a little bit. You're going to feel that stretch if you put weight on it. So it's okay. can be kind of key. But once you're in a position of having more um, clean space, then you can let the ropes be a little bit less tight. And in multi-pitch environments, um, you know, we have to be careful when we do long pitches we lose a lot of things. One, we lose the ability to communicate oftentimes, both visually and um, verbally. But we also lose the ability to kind of manage that tension in the rope. Because even if you have the rope pretty tight, you know, at 100 feet out, the rope's going to stretch a lot more than you think. And, you know, if there's a hazard right off the ledge, then a client could still hit that ledge. And I see that all the time happening at the South Wall with guides. It's like they... They do these long pitches where there are some like cruxy moves right off the ground, and oftentimes you can't see them and coach them very well from where you're up, where you're at because there, uh, there's at least three routes I can think of right off the top of my head that are like that. Um, and by making a long pitch, if if they pop off on these on these routes, even if their feet are five or six feet off the ground, I've seen plenty of clients pop off and then just smack the ground. And the guy doesn't even really know. They kind of know there's a little more tension on the rope, but they didn't realize that the client actually hit the ground. So oftentimes we break pitches up into shorter chunks because we, A, we want to have good visual um, and verbal communication with clients, especially clients that are, are newer to the game. We want to really make sure that they're doing what we want them to do and not like unclipping at an unopportune time. But we also will t- make short pitches on routes just to kind of protect and coach crux moves and have less elongation in the system. So that's something that is a, is a choice sometimes. That I may actually stop short, even though I feel like if I went further, I could have good visual and good verbal communication, but I'm going to stop short because there's a cruxy move that I want to coach and give, uh, be able to give a tighter belay with less elongation because there's a hazard if they fall off that move. Below them, um, if the rope stretches, that um, I won't be able to compensate for if I'm out a little further so that's a that's a legitimate choice to make sometimes um, when we're when we're guiding out there is is dealing with that elongation piece so it's a it's a big deal so recognizing those hazards um, in the field and making and compensating for that in your in your systems and your techniques um, and your stances is really important the other part that kind of goes along with this is fall line management. So that, in some ways, that's fall line management, right? It's like, well, the fall line's straight down, and the way you're managing the fall line um, is making the rope shorter and tighter so that when they fall off, they don't um, hit stretch and hit the ground and elongate. Oh, actually, I want to go back because I'm not done with elongation yet. Um, No, I'm going to stick with this, and then I'll come back to elongation. So fall line management's really key because... What we have to do is make sure that we protect the clients. So if they do fall, A, they don't stretch and hit something, but B, they don't swing and hit something. So obviously, traverse is a pretty classic example of fall line management. Like, how do you deal with a fall line management? That if you're leading, it's lots of pieces of protection. If you're top roping and you're doing a route that has um, a lot of traversing on it, maybe it's directionals, maybe it's where you put your master point. Um, maybe you have, maybe like at the sea cliffs where we have some roots that kind of wander a little bit, you build your anchor that can move. So you have an anchor system that allows movement, um, so that you can kind of bump your rope along the edge as they kind of move back and forth to find a, 
find the path that fits back best for them. So it's really important to think about um, fall line management. So if my client falls off here, what happens? Where does the rope put them? Do they swing it into this dihedral, right? Do they just swing into space? So if it's a clean fall, is it a big deal? Maybe it is emotionally, but maybe it's not a big deal physically. But if it's um, there's some physical hazard that's there, um, that could be a much bigger deal. And you also realize that more and more people in America are getting less and less in touch with their bodies, their ability to move, their ability to tolerate bumps and scrapes and scratches and bruises is a lot lower. So, you know, if they swing off into something that we think is not a big deal, they're kind of like, oh, I got hurt rock climbing with this guy. It's like, well, you didn't really get hurt. You just like bumped your knee and that's just part of rock climbing. But, you know, to them, it's kind of a big deal. They think they got hurt. So managing that fall line is really key. Now, we've all been in a situation where our ropes weren't quite where we wanted them to be. And we're like, oh, don't blow this move because you're going to take a little swing. Now, that fall line can be Management can be twofold. It can be protecting your client. It can also be protecting your rope so that the client doesn't swing in pendulum and then therefore grate your rope under tension across some sharp edge. So ropes don't just break. They get cut. So we, that's another thing that we want to think about with fall line management is will this rope get damaged if they actually fall here? So maybe I need to do something. like Maybe I need to place my anchor more appropriately there's a great climb at south otter little section and everybody places their anchor pretty close to the edge um kind of in the middle of this this slab and i place mine further back and more to one side because there's essentially three different routes you can climb there but the way everybody builds their anchor the most obvious route or one of the most obvious routes is this like faint dihedral and where everybody builds their anchor it puts them at a huge potential for a swing pendulum if they fall off kind of the cruxy moves. Now the fall is clean, but the guide can't give them any tension on the rope to help them to the cruxy move. So where I put my anchor, I can actually get all three climbs because I have an anchor that can move and I can position it for any of the three climbs, but I can also make sure I get it my rope over the top of this dihedral route where the crux move is. I just bump the rope over as they climb up and I can get direct tension above them. So I chose to move my anchor further back, even though it makes it, you know, I have to step back you know, two steps to actually do a transition with my um, belay from a munter to a grigri. So, uh, you know, versus having the grigri right next to me or the munter right close to me. It's like, well, but ultimately I'm doing a better service and be able to actually get more training with one anchor um, by doing that. So fall line management is pretty key. So it's looking at the route and understanding kind of the angles and how does that work. And sometimes the fall line management is not necessarily... Um, on the way up sometimes it's on the way down so especially if you're doing top managed systems you need to be able to look at a route and go okay they're going to repel down this thing and how is that how are they going to be on the repel so where are they going to go how are they going to be down there you know are they going to swing into something so once again do i need to protect this build, build my anchor somewhere else to protect this kind of weird swing maybe it's coaching about you know the rope between their legs feet wide apart and then that way with the ropes between their legs they can use either hand to push off a wall um, versus if it's over their hip it's really awkward to kind of take one hand off if it's your hip side hand and control the rope with your opposite hand so little things like that can be part of fall line management but essentially what you want to do is really think about fall line management now here's a great example there's a standard route on um, south wall there's a real blocky kind of traditional start to it that's very mellow, and you go directly into a traverse across the ledge, and then you go up. Um, there's actually two fall line management issues there. There's Most people go do a long pitch so they don't 
can't get a lot of tension on the on the root, and they can't see those moves at the ground, and they have all this elongation is going to happen in the root. But I climb a slightly harder start, which is within in par with the grade of the root. It's definitely not any harder than anything else in the root. Um, but I do this little slightly harder start, A, because I think it's a little more interesting, and B, I can get a piece of gear directly above my client's head. Um, I also usually do shorter pitches, so I have less elongation in the system, and I can see those moves really well. So I can get... Even though if they stumble a little bit on that move, because it may be just a tad harder than the other one, it's like they're going to just fall straight down and pretty clean versus kind of like a tumbling, swinging fall into kind of ledges um, and potentially the ground actually on the other start. So it's a great example of managing that fall line, making sure I climb something and place a piece of gear directly over their head so they're they're fully protected off those moves, um, which is really key there. So, and here's a great example is like, well, you're like, well, the climbing's so easy over to the right, so no, the likelihood of someone falling off is pretty low. Like, well, that's probably true, but I was skiing in Europe um, several years ago, and I was skiing the oat route, and I was just skied up to this pass, this little call, and it kind of flattened out before we transitioned to ski down to the, to the next glacier, and there was a party of american skiers behind us being guided by some swiss ifmga guides and and like they were like fully swiss like they were chiseled out of the mountain tall broad shoulders like you know square cut jaw kind of scraggly hair they were just like mountain machines i'm sure they're 512 skiers you know um light set up they've done this thing probably a bazillion times and so one of them comes up skis up where it's flat goes to do a transition to take his skins off and transition to ski down something he's probably done a thousand times and he fell over he just like slipped skis everywhere and just fell over you know and it's like it happens shit like that happens so you know here's this person that's incredibly competent and just fell over on his skis so clients can just take a weird step sometime and just kind of take a weird swing so if you always do something that doesn't protect that and they do it, and all of a sudden you get that one client that does it, and they get banged up. Well, it's your fault. They got banged up. So fall line management's really key, um, whether you're top roping or multi-pitch guiding. And now, a little bit with the elongation, back to that. We'll cycle back. So also think about in winter, we're dealing with slippery surfaces. We're dealing with oftentimes awkward, crampony type stuff. But also we oftentimes use much skinnier ropes, so there's more elongation in the system. So we have to think about that even more <clears throat> when we're climbing in the wintertime or anytime we're using thinner ropes is that they stretch a lot more um, than a thicker rope does. So Now the other piece of elongation that I wanted to talk to and get back to you is the anchoring piece. So this is more prevalent in building top rope anchors and in multi-pitch guiding, but it, there is some relevance there, but it's less relevant there. And that's when we're using anchor lines that are oftentimes static lines or and or um, using the dynamic rope as extending um, away from the anchor. So what can happen is that if we don't account for elongation there, I've seen this over and over again, is that all of a sudden our system stretches we thought it's going to be here, and then we load it, and then all of a sudden it stretches to there, and now your carabiner's in a really funky spot, getting levered on edges, which is really bad for carabiners. Or you're going to belay with a grigri right at the edge on the top man system because you don't want to do the munter lower or, or a, a belay and then switch to a grigri, and all of a sudden your 
client leans back and loads or falls off and really loads the the grigri and then it stretches and then gets pulled over an edge i've seen that happen many times um or the carabiner gets levered on an edge or it gets pulled into a little pocket which might potentially prevent the cam from actually engaging so we have to account for that elongation and that's really important when we're using the dynamic rope especially so some climbs it's not a big deal some climbs it's a really big deal but when we use the dynamic rope as our extension, we really need to think about that. When we're using static ropes, we need to think about it too. Static ropes stretch. Static ropes stretch quite a bit sometimes. And they'll stretch even more when it's wet out. So we do have to think about that. I've rarely been hosed because I underestimated um, the amount of stretch a system has. But I've been hosed a few times when I've overestimated it. Oh, it's actually backwards. I've been I've rarely been hosed when I've overestimated the amount it's going to stretch. Like it didn't stretch quite as much as I thought, and that kind of screwed me a little bit. But I've definitely been hosed when I've underestimated how much it's going to stretch, and it stretched more than I thought, and then kind of screwed me a little bit. So you got to be really careful of that. Um, and there are systems that use single strands of full strength material to to run span gaps and do stuff. We do it all the time. Now I'm not going to get the the discussion about edges and stuff like that in terms of single strand versus two strands but single strand material even static rope stretches quite a bit so you know any times you can double up your material when if you have the material available to double it up um go for it because that, that a depending on how you rig it will will give you two strands that are independent of each other so you have more cut resistance but b it maybe just helps with elongation management um, so even if you're not worried about cutting, your rope's hanging in space, maybe you should be nice not to have all the stretch in the system. So there are some very legitimate reasons to use single-strand um, systems um, in time and places, but they are fairly specific. Um, so, But yeah, the elongation and fall-in management is a pretty key thing to think about. It's subtle, but it's important, and both of them can have pretty big consequences if you don't manage them really well.